The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit VoiceAmerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. The human mind, body, emotions, and spirit are more powerful than anyone can imagine, and we can learn to use them in new and powerful ways to create the life we've always dreamed of. On our program today, with your host, Dr. Irene Conlon, we'll address who you are, how to come to know what you believe and why, how to accept and love yourself, and how you can make changes that help you create the empowered, happy, successful life you want. Now, here's your host, Dr. Irene Conlon. Welcome to the Self-Improvement Show. This is Irene Conlon. We broadcast from Scottsdale, Arizona, and I'm absolutely delighted that you can be with us today, whether you're listening to the live broadcast or you've downloaded it later. I'm always delighted to have you around. As I always say, go to the Self-Improvement blog, take a look at our guest's bio, uh, you know, see his picture, read the review of his book. This is a very different book, um, and I think everybody needs to read it, and you'll see why in just a minute. While you're there, you might want to also take a look at the new stuff category in the lower left section of the homepage of the blog, because I have there details of an upcoming Chopra meditation series that some of you might really like. Stephen Covey says, most people do not listen with the intent to understand They listen with the intent to reply. I think that can resonate with every one of us. And my question for you today is, how well do you listen? Do you just hear or do you actively listen? When I was growing up, one thing that was a long time ago, one thing that was A punishable offense in our family was telling somebody to shut up. If you happen to slip and say it to mom or dad, you were in big, big trouble. It just wasn't said. But you know what? There are times when it seems appropriate. We all know people who just never seem to stop talking. They don't pause long enough for you to respond. And if you do try to get a word in, they accuse you of interrupting. And yeah, you did, but that's the only way you had a chance to get in a word. We know people who jump in before you finish your sentence and continue with what they believe is your thought. In the workplace, this can be very counterproductive. And managers who don't listen to their employees have trouble in so many ways. Eric Wagner has written a book called Shutting Up, Listening to Your Employees, Leading by Example, and Maximizing Productivity. And today, we're going to talk about shutting up and listening. Eric Wagner is a founding partner of MindNest LLC, 
mind, and nest like a bird's nest, a technology incubator in Phoenix. Prior to that, Eric was chief technology officer for Pearson Digital Learning, where he led the development of numerous software products and was also responsible for setting the course for PDL's technology future. And it's a huge one because they're a huge publisher of educational materials and now uh, online education. Prior to PDL, Eric was vice president of development for GoDaddy.com. He's also been general manager of OSE Reprographic and Groupware Technologies, vice president of engineering with Buzzsaw.com, vice president of AutoCAD development with Autodesk, and vice president of development with Ithaca Software. Eric holds both BSE and MS degrees in computer science from Arizona State University and is the author of numerous U.S. software patents. He regularly travels nationwide to appear as a keynote speaker at technology and educational events. In his spare time, and I don't know how he ever has any, in his spare time he enjoys motorcycling, skiing, scuba diving, and is a licensed aircraft pilot. And it is my absolute pleasure to welcome Eric Wagner to the Self-Improvement Show. Eric, welcome. Well, thank you very much, Irene. It's uh, great to be able to talk with you today. I'll try to listen. (laughs) Tell us a little bit about yourself other than all of those credits that you already have. Uh, Wow, what a resume. Tell us about yourself. Who is Eric Wagner? Yeah, it's kind of a big build-up to follow. Uh, (laughs) I'll I'll see what I can do. Who I am really, I'm, as you said, I'm a technically trained guy who ended up spending most of his professional career in various management positions. You know, I didn't get an MBA. I, I loved computers. I went to school to, to learn how to program them. And uh, I came out and I spent uh, the first 10 years of my professional life actually programming computers and uh, having a lot of fun with that. I was around when, and I was so sorry for me to say, but when the first IBM PCs came out and the early Macs and all that, and uh, I was just pretty good at what I did. And I kind of naturally found myself moving into leadership and then management positions. Uh, I really liked working with people. I liked, you know, getting the team together and uh, making big things happen. And uh, I just kind of moved on from there until I started having opportunities to go to some of these other companies that were startups and then got acquired and things like that. But right right now, um, I am, you know, a partner in this technology incubator company. And... Uh, doing a lot of personal things that I need to do and actually looking to maybe start up something else uh, or, or find another next great thing to do as well. And like you said, I, I do have some free time, love scuba diving, love traveling around, and my family lives around here, and I try to spend as much time with them as I can. Sounds good. Before we get into it, how can people find you on the Internet and how can they find your book? The easiest thing to do is to go to shuttingup.com, which has some information about me, links to the books on Amazon, I believe it is. It has the link for my LinkedIn profile and a link to my blog, which is kind of on summer hiatus. But usually I have a weekly blog posting that has something, you know, crazy out of my mind. 
Oh, I like crazy out of your mind kind of things on blogs. I love them. Yeah, I, I'm kind of fascinated with your company and, and, and intrigued with that website. It's a very unusual website. But t- tell us a little bit about what an incubator for technology is. What do you do there? We put this company together because uh, the, the other partners and I all had ideas that we had generated over the many, many years of our professional lives where we saw an idea for a really good product, whether it was software-oriented or hardware-oriented or something completely different, but didn't have anybody that we were directly working with that had the ability to go implement it. So if I have an idea for something really good, let's say, as I'm a pilot, something really good for airplanes, if I'm working at GoDaddy.com, or Pearson Education, it's not really the right place to implement that. Um, all of the guys worked in various different things, and everybody had put together a long list of ideas over the years. Uh, we said, what if we had a company that we could throw these ideas into, hire a group of people who were well-trained in a number of different areas, and let them all go to work on them and try to bring them to market. And so it's incubating technology ideas, uh, and trying to actually make money off of them. So you're developing software that you can sell for what companies or individuals, or are, it's not all software, but primarily, as I understand it. Some of it is website software. Some of it is mobile applications for iPhones, Androids, what have you. Some of it is uh, software that could be used, let's say, in the back office, behind the scenes of what large companies show to the public to make them more efficient, that type of thing. Uh, We're also doing a lot of uh, software consulting work for various companies. And uh, it's it's really kind of like wherever there's a really good opportunity for something new and challenging to go take a whack at doing it. Now, there's so many areas now that need software with with the pads and the iPhones and, you know, who knows what else is forthcoming that that should be a, a really good niche to be in. Well, we would hope so. I mean, somebody's got to make the next <laughs> Angry Birds, right? <laughs> I guess so. Oh, my. And maybe do a little with Candy Crush, like get rid of it before oh, yeah. those well, of us who are addicted. has run its course by now. But we'll <laughs> yeah. uh, you wrote a book about listening, or as you call it, uh, about shutting up. Uh, Where did you get the general idea of the book? What compelled you to write it? It was really based on my history. Uh, As I said, I I moved up from technology frontline positions into frontline management positions, and then eventually into executive positions and all that. And I, like a lot of people who get moved into management positions, were never trained to do management. They just were kind of one of the best people at doing the job they were doing. And someone said, hey, now we want you to lead these people and then lead bigger groups. And people have varying degrees of skill at accomplishing that. And I was one of those guys. They said, hey, you should go lead this. And I was like, okay, I've never really managed people before. But fortunately, that first early company that I worked for had some really good management training programs. And I went through some of them every year. And fortunately, additional companies that I went to, like when I was at Autodesk in the San Francisco Bay Area, also had really good management training programs. And so I was picking up tips and tricks and making up some of my own. And 
as I got into this stuff, I realized, you know, there's a lot of information, and it's easy to forget a lot of this information. So I just started keeping a small file. At that time, it was a Unix file. Eventually, it became a DOS file, and then a Windows file, and whatever. Oh, you have been around. <laughs> yeah, and I just I had to move it from computer to computer as the years went by. And this thing survived literally for a couple of decades. But every time I came across another quick thing I wanted to remember for myself, I'd write a one-liner about it, I'd add it to this file, and stick it away. And once in a while, I'd pull the file out and reread them and say, wow, I, I totally forgot about that one. Um, and so anyway, this thing just kept growing and growing. And it was just a few years ago that uh, I was talking with some other people who were involved in management consulting and such, and I was telling them about my list, and they told me, you ever thought of turning this into a book? There are probably a lot of people that could benefit from this type of thing. I was like, no, I've used them a lot when I mentor people. I really enjoy mentoring managers under me and seeing them grow into better managers and moving up in positions, and I would give them the one-liners right out of that file. Uh, but I had never really thought about turning it into an official book for other people. And I started investigating the possibility. Unfortunately, I was working for an educational publisher at that time. And I was able to work with some people there and turn it actually into a manuscript. And uh, eventually it got done and it came out last year. And um, there it is. And there it is. And on that note, we're going to go to break, but we're going to talk more about the book Shutting Up when we come back. So stay tuned. We'll be back with more. Build your better business. Achieve that goal. Make good on that resolution. The Voice America Empowerment Channel. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. When you think of inspiring women, who comes to mind? Is it a visionary like Oprah Winfrey? Political or legal figures like Hillary Clinton or Sonia Sotomayor? Or how about entrepreneurial business leaders like Meg Whitman? No matter whom you might be thinking of, make sure to add one more to that list. Deanne DeMarco. She's the host of Today's Inspiring Women. Each week, Deanne turns you on to the next rising star in business and leadership and what their successes and challenges have been. Listen every Thursday at 3 p.m. Eastern, noon Pacific, on Voice America Empowerment. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings of the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our wall. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. You are tuned in to The Self-Improvement Show with your host, Dr. Irene Conlon. Got a question for Irene or her guests? Call into our live show at 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. Connect with Irene via email. Our address is theselfimprovementblog at gmail.com. Now, let's get back to The Self-Improvement Show. Here again is Dr. Irene Conlon. Welcome back to the Self-Improvement Show. My guest today is Eric Wagner, and we're talking about his book, Shutting Up, um, which is the next question I want to ask you about, Eric. 
Why did you name it Shutting Up? I mean, there's some elegant titles about listening. Probably wouldn't have gotten my attention, but Shutting Up did. Is that why you named it that? It's an attention getter. Well, first of all, I don't think that there are many people who would accuse me of being elegant. <laughs> okay. Um, I I chose that title, I'll, I'll tell you, quite frankly, over some competitive titles that were proposed by my editors and uh, the publishers and all, because, uh, yeah, I, I like attention getters, and I think really that's what we all need is that wake-up call. Uh, you know, people are always speaking nice to us. Oh, we, the importance of listening and being introspective and whatever, and that's all fine. But I think we need the psychological wake-up call, and that is shut up. Your people are trying to talk to you. So, so this isn't about someone telling someone else to shut up. This is about you thinking to yourself, I need to shut up and listen to what this person or this group around me is saying. And, and you wrote this for managers, but I, I really think that everybody should read this book because it's perfect for parents as well, for teachers, for anybody who's interfacing with other people. Oh, I agree entirely, and I, I try to make that point in the summary in that, you know, why do we many times consider our work lives to be the center point of the universe where, in reality, it should be our home lives with work coming in a close second in many situations. Um, when we're communicating with people, you know, you want to listen to your employees, your peers, your superiors, uh, the same way as you listen to your customers, the same way as you listen to your significant other, your kids, your your mother and father. Everybody needs the respect that comes from just shutting up from time to time. And as you said in the opening, you know, listening is not about preparing a response. Listening is about understanding what the other person is saying, where they're going, and trying to dig as deep as you can to find out what they're really trying to say because in many instances... The first couple of volleys back and forth will not expose what their true intent in a conversation is. You've got to dig for it. And again, put this, you know, in your kids, your significant other's mouths, whatever it is. Many times that first question, that first comment is not really what they're asking about. And you No, they're to, just testing you out. That's right. And you warming you, you say, up. You just nod your head a little bit. You do what I call the seven Mississippi count of not saying anything at all. And if it's still quiet, you ask a probing question. You sit on your hands. You bite your tongue. You do whatever you need to do to remain quiet because you're, it's going to take three or four volleys before that significant other, kid, other relative, friend, workmate, whatever it is, finally gets around to really what they're trying to say. And by the way, you know it when that happens. It's like a waterfall opening up and gushing. All of a sudden, you see where they were going. And, and the thing is, well, again, regardless of who you're dealing with, somebody comes in and, and gives you that first volley, and you fire back with the Encyclopedia Galactica of information of everything you know. <laughs> Chances are you have not answered their question. You have not solved their problem. Whatever it is, they go away. They're upset. You didn't really have the conversation. They're not going to blame themselves. They're going to blame you. They're going to be less likely to want to communicate with you again in the future. They're going to tell their other friends and relatives and workmates about that, and it's going to result in a lack of respect for you. 
I love the seven Mississippi rule. Can you give us the details on that? Because everybody can and should probably use that. I don't know where I came up with it. Um, you know, there are, there are parts of this that I have acquired over the years from other people or training courses or whatever, and, and certainly a lot of it that I developed on my own. The seven Mississippi count, I can't guarantee you that it shouldn't be six or eight Mississippi, you know, whatever works for you. But I find that anytime you leave a moment of silence that's long, someone else will say something. So whether you're in a one-on-one conversation and somebody has just finished speaking uh, or whether you're in a meeting and a silence has, has just happened or whether you're giving a presentation to a large group of people and you say, are there any questions? If you take the next step in any of those situations sooner than at least counting it out to yourself, seven Mississippi, and I mean, I don't mean one Mississippi, two, I mean one Mississippi, two Mississippi, if you fire back any faster than that, you won't get the question that really should have been asked. You won't get that person to reopen up. Because if you're in a one-on-one conversation with somebody and they've just finished saying something and you wait seven Mississippi without saying a thing, just staring at them nicely, nodding your head a little bit, there, if, if you wait long enough, they will start to feel a really uncomfortable silence develop in the room. And they're going to think, wow, I thought it was going to be his turn to talk, but it's been really quiet for a long time. Maybe it's still my turn to talk. I don't like this uncomfortable silence. I'm going to break it. I'm going to say something else. And they will. It's, it's incredible. It's uncanny how Waiting 7 Mississippi gets somebody else to start talking again or next or whatever the situation might be. And you can continue, think- to, you can continue to nod your head. You can... Uh, do whatever you want, but eventually they'll stop talking again. You repeat the seven Mississippi. And if they still haven't started talking at that point, all right, maybe now it's your turn, but don't give them the answer. Don't pretend you have all the information. Ask a clarifying question. Well, what do you really mean by whatever? Something like that. And then wait, they're going to answer. And when they're done answering, wait seven Mississippi again. And they'll go through two or three rounds of responses before you have to do that again. Eventually, like I said, that waterfall opens up and you know you've got the real information and can start to really handle the problem. But waiting, developing uncomfortable silence is critical to making sure the other person has gotten the information out. I think you've answered what I wanted to ask you next, and that is that right up front you say people by their nature don't communicate, and your book is about shutting up. Um, and at first I thought that was a conflict of ideas, but you develop a little bit more on why people don't communicate and how you help them. And that seven Mississippi rule is one of the ways you do. But do you want to say any more about the fact that people by their nature don't communicate? Well, I think it's just tough for many people. You know, it, I was going to say, you know, especially if it was one of your workers coming to speak with you, you might have a really good rapport with some people. There are others who are always going to be a little leery or skeptical of, of doing business with you in that way. They're, they're not going to want to get to all the information they need to get to right away. Like you said, they're going to dance around the edges a little bit. But the same things happen in friendship and family situations. Um, people, by their nature, aren't really good at just 
telling everybody what, you know, telling the appropriate person what they need to say, getting it out there so that the product can be handled, they, they dance around it a while. And if you want to maximize communication, you've got to shut up and let them say what they've got to say and get to the point they need to make, or else, like I said, you're just going to jump in too early and not really handle the, the situation appropriately. Right, and sitting there and listening, being quiet also lets you observe their body language, which tells you a lot as well. Sure. You state the, I love this, the dingus whines and moans, managers solve problems. You talk <laughs> a lot about the dingus, and you caution against becoming one. Tell us about the dingus. You know, there, yeah. I have so many personal examples, which I'm sure everybody in the listening <laughs> yes. audience has as well. Uh, you know, I've heard other words. I didn't make up my own floor, and I don't know that dingus was the most appropriate. I certainly had people tell me that there might have been other words that worked better. But oh, I loved when it. When, when I'm standing in the, in the grocery store checkout line, and the person in front of me is watching the cashier do all their work, and they get through ringing up their 100 groceries, and, you know, the person turns to them and says, That'll be $97.38. And then the person pulls out their wallet or opens up their purse and goes in and finds the credit card or pulls out a checkbook, (laughs) God forbid, and starts going through all the work to do that rather than having it all set up. I call that person a dingus, you know? The guy who insists he's not going to wait to turn in the left turn lane and he's going to cut everybody in that left turn lane off. He's going to go all the way to the front and jump in. Uh, you know, because he doesn't deserve to wait in that line. That's a dingus. Everybody knows these guys. What's really dangerous is when you have one who's your boss. And what's even more dangerous is when you turn into a dingus on your own. And I, I, I think I think I leave enough room for everybody to kind of define dingus in the way they want to. But in general, think of it as you know Michael Scott from The Office. He was like yes. He was like the penultimate example of, uh, of, of being a dingus, uh, just, you know, doing everything wrong, saying the wrong things, treating people the wrong way, uh, just being a general idiot. I think we all know one. Most of us have one in our family. Most of us work with one. You know, they're, they're rather numerous. Well, you know, the, the good thing about working for a dingus is the same thing as a good thing about working for a really good boss who's not a dingus. We learn something. Everybody we work for, whether they have positive traits or negative traits, some combination, we learn something about how to deal with those traits, and we see things that we say, wow, if I ever become manager, I want to do this type of thing the way this manager does, and if I ever become a manager, wow, I would never, ever want to replicate any of these traits in, in this person because I, I just hate it when that happens. So we learn things about everybody we work for. If we can use that as a set of examples to, to build up our own management career, that's great. Unfortunately, not everybody gets exposed to enough examples, positive and negative, and that's why I'm trying to plug some of the holes with the book is, is give people some of these tips and tricks. And some of these things you don't get when you're getting your MBA. They come with experience. You know, some of the that, best lessons are learned in doing it. That's absolutely true. In fact, uh, 
I was actually in discussions with uh, some local universities about putting classes together in uh, managing curricula around um, giving some, before you get there, uh, you know, pre-training in this type of thing in the real world. Yeah, actually, you know, your your next book could be something about the dingus. <laughs> I think we all need to, to be, you know, a little more aware that that these are characteristics of a lot of us, and um, not not too not too positive characteristics. I, I think talk- anybody who who sits down and watches uh, the compendium of uh, the Office series with uh, you know the Michael Scott Office series pretty much picks up a lot of those. And as outrageous as a lot of the things are on there. I, I have personally seen many of them actually occur. We've spoken to people who have seen those things actually occur. I mean, my wife had situations with a guy that she was working for, which was every bit as bad as the Michael Scott situation. So it's sad, but it's true. And that's what makes it so funny is most of us can identify with somebody we've worked with or are working with that has that is a dingus now. On that note, it's time to take a break. We'll be back with more with Eric Wagner in just a minute, so stay tuned. We're on Facebook along with some of the greatest minds of the world, and that includes you. Visit us on Facebook at Voice America Empowerment. Have you ever noticed that sometimes life just feels easier? especially when judgment of you or anyone else ceases to exist? What if you could function from that space all the time? What if gratitude is the key? Every time you are grateful for someone or something, a new universe opens up. What difference can you create in your life and the world from the energy, space, and consciousness of gratitude? Join us on Access Consciousness Presents Beyond Saying Thank You every Tuesday at 12 noon Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Are you ready to move to your next level? Listen for Empowering Women, Transforming Lives with host Rebecca Hall Greider. Each show will focus on a central topic with discussion, guests, and your questions being featured. Our show is perfect for women who feel a call in their heart to step out in a bigger, more powerful way in their life and just need some encouragement, inspiration, and practical steps to support them on their journey. Empowering Women, Transforming Lives can be heard live every Wednesday at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern Time on Voice America Empowerment. Every one of us confronts challenges that rock our world to the core, making us confused and disoriented, not knowing which way is up. On The Mother Rising, host Margaret Jacobson will nourish that spark that enlivens. You will be both empowered and inspired to create the changes leading you on your path to your own true freedom. Discover your worth and what you are capable of. Tune into The Mother Rising every Thursday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time, 7 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. You are tuned in to The Self-Improvement Show with your host, Dr. Irene Conlon. Got a question for Irene or her guests? Call into our live show at 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. Connect with Irene via email, 
Our address is the self-improvement blog at gmail.com. Now, let's get back to the self-improvement show. Here again is Dr. Irene Conlon. Welcome back to the Self-Improvement Show. Our guest today is Eric Wagner. We're talking about his book, Shutting Up, and about um, things that help managers be better managers, actually. Eric, what are the most important times that a manager needs just to shut up and listen? Well, there's obviously quite a few. Um, Let me hit a few of them. Um, The first and most important is when doing one-on-one communications because that's the most personal, that's your real opportunity to develop rapport with somebody and handle real situations. So all those tricks we talked about earlier, critical, sitting on the hands, probing, waiting, all that stuff. Um, Also very important to, to shut up when someone asks you a question. I'm not talking about, like, you know, what time is the meeting today? You can feel free to answer that one. But if somebody asks you a difficult question about how we should be doing something or whatever, um, it's important to shut up. And by that, I mean turn it back around to them and say, well, what do you think we should do? And get the person to grow. Have them take a whack at it. If they can't come up with any ideas, say, look, pretend I'm completely out of touch. You can't get a hold of me. You need to make this decision now. What would you do? And it's a great way to get the other person to grow. They might not come up with the right answer, but whether they do or don't, you could help grow them and make them a more independent worker for the future. Um, inside of meetings, a lot of times I've been in situations where the, the, the top-level person in the room is first to lay out his thoughts big mistake. You want to shut up and let everybody else get their thoughts out on the table because as soon as you get yours out there, you're going to have a lot of other people agreeing with you and you may not get the best ideas in. You don't, you know, certainly a situation you don't need. Uh, What else is good to shut up? Oh, making estimates. Uh, So many managers love to tell their people uh, how long something is going to take. Better to shut up, meaning let the other person tell you, hey, we got this to do. What do you think? How long is it going to take? And then you shut up. You let the other person go through the process and tell you what it's going to be. So you see the, the word shutting up doesn't always necessarily mean closing your mouth, locking it with a lock and key, and not uttering a syllable. It means finding a way to turn the attention to the other person or people involved in the situation and letting them lead it in a way that will get better information out. And sometimes just a really good, appropriate nod of the head will keep them going. You know, it's very interesting. Yeah, I'm nodding my head at you right now. <laughs> I can't see you. I'm sorry. <laughs> I, w- I often wish that we had video. You know, it- it's hard sometimes to know when people are finished on the radio, so you do interrupt because you can't see them. Um, oh, you, you don't want video of me right now. My hair is a mess. I'm unshaved, and it's terrible. Oh, we don't even talk about what I look like on the self-improvement <laughs> show. People would be maybe a little surprised, maybe not. You talk about a lot of other things. One of the chapters I appreciated so much was the all the discourse on uh, evaluations, employee evaluations. I thought that was some of the, the best information I'd read. Um, and, and obviously, you had a lot of experience with employee evaluations. 
it's, it's such a hard thing to do uh, and present in a, in a positive way. And, and I, you know, I would really encourage people who, are, who have to write employee evaluations to get the book because you treat it so well. What major mistakes do you think many managers make? What are the key mistakes you've seen? Uh, just in general, you mean? Just in general, whatever you want to toss out here. Okay. Um, wow, this is huge, and and uh, there's a huge, obviously a huge part of the book that you know covers these types of things because it's not just about shutting up, as you said. There's a subtitle to it that talks about other things that we can do as better as managers. Well, let me just hit a couple that people might not have thought of before, um, such as your office. It is so common to have your office in the wrong place. A lot of times companies have this manager's row type of thing, and you are in a tight orbit with your boss and your peers on one side of the building, and your people that are working directly for you are in another, or on another floor, or in another building. That is bad. That discourages communication uh, and should be avoided. You should be sitting right in close to where your people can just pop in anytime they want to. Similarly, uh, continuing on the office theme, the arrangement of it. Uh, I always set up my office so I can directly speak with the person who comes in without having to talk over something. I don't know if you remember the old series, uh, Hill Street Blues. Yes. Um, Daniel J. Trevanti played Captain Ferrello, and way back then I saw him do this. Anytime anybody came into his office, he had a desk in between him and the person. He always stood up immediately, walked around the desk so he could speak face-to-face with the person in close proximity. It helped to develop a real rapport rather than talking over a desk. Many situations, there's a desk there you can't get away from, but you can roll to the end of it so that you're not really looking over it. And by the way, when you do that, now you're not distracting yourself with email that's popping up on your screen or something like that. Oh, and, and don't close your door. I have known so many people in management who walk right into their office and close their door behind them. They might even have a sign on the door that says, knock, I'm in, or knock, you know, no problem at all, or whatever they want to say. It doesn't matter. The closed door is telling people that what you're doing is more important than what they've got to say, and it reduces communication. The office is not a place for privacy. The office is not a place to sit and do things solo. The office is a place for communication and interaction. If you've got stuff that needs to be done uh, in a private, quiet situation, do it at home. Do it, do it in the morning before you come to work. Do it at night after work. Use your time at, at the office to interact with your people. Um, well, we really went off on your office, huh? Uh, <laughs> you know, all get, of those things are true. <laughs> They're so let, let me, true. Let me give a couple of others. Stop using email. Email is a scourge of our society. Email discourages face-to-face communication. If you've got anything to say to somebody, go and speak to them face-to-face. If that's impossible, pick up the phone and talk to them. If that's impossible, you might have to you might have to use an email or a text message or something. Don't use email. It it really discourages the type of communications that we need to have as managers with our people. And sometimes uh, it sounds angry when you you don't mean it to or you know it it just gives the wrong message. People don't read it the way you think you wrote it. Well, there's no way to convey emotion in an email and if you put a smiley face after saying something that's a little bit iffy, 
you're, you're admitting right in writing the message that you're not getting your emotions across properly and that there's room for the other person to misinterpret. Email is terrible and should only be used for the simplest notification of items that are not controversial in any way. And as a manager, if you have, if you see anybody else, a peer or especially one of your people, initiate an email that is just begging for a flame war, as they cause it, that's an immediate need to go talk to that person in private and let them know that that is not acceptable. Email, not good. Email bad. Email bad. You have a chapter titled Positively Predictable. What do you mean by positively predictable? What I'm saying is that people value predictability. You know, maybe not entirely, let's say, in a marriage. You know, your, your significant other might enjoy a little non-predictability from time to time. But overall, People want you to be predictable. People, whether it's your boss or your workers or your family or friends, they want to know basically how you're going to respond to a situation. And we all know somebody who is not that person. You know, I'm going to give the person this news, and I don't know, are they going to be really excited about it? Or are they not going to be? Are they going to be really mad? Are they going to be a little whatever? People want to know, hey, if I go to Irene with this situation, She's going to be okay about it, or she's going to be really excited about it. They, that makes them feel more stable in their job and lets they know you better. But predictability also comes around in other ways. Um, they want to know that you're always going to do the right thing. Hey, I, I can trust this guy. He, he's a guy who is going to look out for us. He's trustworthy. Uh, I, I can depend on him. This is whether it's your boss talking about you or whatever. If, if he tells me he's going to get something done, he does. I don't have to worry. I don't have to check up on him. So it's all that type of thing, trying to maintain a levelness, a constantness. I don't know if that's a word. Throughout your business career where people just can depend that they know who you are and what you say you're going to do, they can count on that. And there's probably a negatively predictable, too. You know the people who are going to explode or say it can't be done. <laughs> That's a positive, negative prediction, I guess. I, you know, yeah, well, I mean, we do know people who are always going to explode at something, and as long as they always have exactly the same reaction, we, they're predictable, and we can prepare for that. Now, if we want to put up with that person exploding, that's up to us. If it's an employee, we can correct them. If it's a boss, we can choose to quit or whatever it happens to be but at least they're predictable and we can plan for that predictability. Predictability, good. Email, yep. bad. Yeah. You, you, you got st- it. <laughs> you, say, you say this, and I love this. We as managers aren't doing any real work. We're doing meta work, work about work. Our job is to make it easy for the real work to get done. Now, employees know this at some level. How can managers get more respect when the employees realize that they don't do actual work? Well, it's absolutely true. And many times employees don't realize the importance that managers do until they become one someday. It's it's very common for people at upper management levels to go, yeah, I remember when I was back on the front lines, I thought my manager did absolutely nothing, and here I am working 12 hours a day keeping things running smooth. Um, it's, 
it is meta work. You know, the, sometimes there are managers who can sit down and do the jobs that their people are doing, but many times that's not the case. And quite frankly, managers who sit down and do the work that their people are supposed to be doing are not doing what they're really supposed to be doing, which is handling the team, handling the organization, pulling obstacles out of the way of the team, making life easier, improving motivation, improving skills, improving the tools that are available. That is the manager's job to do. It is getting out of the way and being there for that person when they need it. And if you want to see respected managers, find somebody who does all that long list of things that I just said, and you will find people working for them who respect them for that. There are other things that managers can do as well, like, taking it for the team when something goes wrong, then I cover that in depth in the book on ways to do that. But um, the, the biggest thing is having team members who know you're there covering for them, getting obstacles out of their way, making their lives easier. They will respect you for that. And when they see, yeah, when they see you doing that, they will realize that you do work. It's just different work than what they, you make their work possible, actually. It's time for us to take another break, our last break. When we come back, I want to talk a little bit about maximizing your relationship with the boss. So we're we're going to come back and talk about bosses. So stay tuned for more of the Self-Improvement Show. Success starts here. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. It's your world. It's time to access your magic. Tune in each week to Living in the Magic of Possibilities with your host, Glenice Hughes. Our topics cover finances, personal health, business, relationships, mediumship, and so much more. If you want to access all that is possible in your life, listen to Glenice and her expert guests who've turned the impossible into the possible. Living in the Magic of Possibilities is heard live every Thursday at 3 p.m. Pacific Time, 6 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Every one of us confronts challenges that rock our world to the core, making us confused and disoriented, not knowing which way is up. On The Mother Rising, host Margaret Jacobson will nourish that spark that enlivens. You will be both empowered and inspired to create the changes leading you on your path to your own true freedom. Discover your worth and what you are capable of. Tune into The Mother Rising every Thursday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time, 7 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Have you had a chance to check out Voice America's online magazine and blog, Press Pass? If you love our hosts and shows, check out articles that give an even deeper perspective. Plus topics about health and fitness, movie reviews, philosophy, business tips and tactics, spirituality, positive thought, current events, and even more about your favorite host. It's just a click away at VAPressPass.com. That's VAPressPass.com. VA Press Pass by Voice America. All access, all the time. Find out what's happening on the Voice America Talk Radio Network by keeping up with us on Twitter. You can find us at Voice America TRN. You are tuned in to The Self-Improvement Show with your host, Dr. Irene Conlon. Got a question for Irene or her guests? Call into our live show at 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. 
Connect with Irene via email. Our address is the self improvement blog at gmail.com. Now, let's get back to the self improvement show. Here again is Dr. Irene Conlon. Welcome back to the Self-Improvement Show. Our guest today is Eric Wagner. We're talking about listening and about managing. Eric, one of your chapters deals with working with the boss. It's outstanding. Give us some ways that you can maximize your relationship with the boss. Most managers have a boss who may also have a boss. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, and a lot, yeah, a lot of us are those people. Um, so we kind of know what we like, and we should be able to translate that in a certain percentage to what our boss will like as well. Um, I'd say the first thing you need to do with a boss is learn what the communication style is. When you go in and talk to him, you need to learn how much detail he wants and not go further than that. Uh, watch for the eyes glazing over, and that's your key. Okay, next time I'm going to stop a level short of this. Uh, that will help you a lot. Um, Blindsiding. Bosses hate to be blindsided. Make sure to have a channel you can use when something is going wrong somewhere that you can cut, give, give the information to the boss in such a way that if his boss gives him a call about it, he's already prepared with information on it and can respond appropriately. Uh, one more thing I'll say, and you know, probably not pointed out too many places, so here's one for you. Don't save the punchline. Bosses hate to be led down a long road of a story only to be told at the very end whether it's a successful or not successful outcome. And this can be applied to friends and relatives as well. Uh, in other words, don't say, well, this server went down and then a car ran into this and then the power did that. And da, 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 da. when the answer at the end is, well, we got by it all. We had backups around for everything and everything is fine. Start off with, hey, we had a whole bunch of crazy situations. Everything is cool. Everything is fine. We were never down. But let me tell you what happened. The boss will appreciate that much more. Or he'll say, okay, I don't have time right now. I'll get you later today, and we'll talk about this. But he knows what the punchline was. I, I do the same thing just, again, talking about family. I've had, I use the same technique with friends and relatives when, say, somebody in our family has gone to the hospital. Rather than the first words out of your mouth being, Joe is in the hospital, which will drive the person on the other end of the phone insane. It's, yes. hey, he's, he's going to be fine, but Joe is in the hospital. All right, that has communicated an entirely different feeling, but it doesn't do what I like to call the big bang. Big bangs are bad. Big bang news, big bang org changes, which I also cover in the book, all that is bad. Stay away from them. So those are just a few. There's many more in there. Uh, ideas about working well with your boss. On the flip side, how can you work with your team to increase their productivity? The boss wants more productivity, higher quality. How do you bring that about? Um, I actually go into quite a bunch of detail about productivity and its relationship to performance levels and how performance is completely determined by motivation, the ability of the people, and the tools that they have to work with. You as a manager, your job, in addition to keeping obstacles out of the team's way, is to constantly think about motivation and figure out, if I need more out of them, how can I manage them better uh, motivation-wise for this project? How can I get them revved up? Does the boss have to approve some sort of project bonus? 
Do we need to put somebody else on this who's more motivated? Uh, you need to constantly be looking at the people, uh, people's abilities levels. Do I need to swap some people out who have higher abilities, uh, provide better training, that types of things? And you constantly have to be looking at the tools that your team has to work with, whether the tools are computers, phones, bulldozers, whatever it happens to be. You have to figure out, hey, can I make a change to some process or thing that people have to use that can improve their ability to get work done overall, and that all leads into improved productivity. One of the things you talk about that I found, one, very helpful, and two, quite amusing, is is your comments on meetings, you know, all the meetings that these people have to go to, and you, you had some interesting solutions, but in one place you refer to some people who have to be in meetings all day. I mean, it kind of boggled my mind. How do they get any work done when they're in meetings all day? Uh, well, your guess is as good as mine, really. I, I consider any time in a meeting pretty much wasted uh, because you're not out there, you know, probably doing the work that you're being paid to do. Um, and I cover a lot of sections in the book. Certainly there are books and books on meetings. I try to cover a few high points that can make meetings better. Uh, I think the key thing about people who, as you say, are in meetings all day long, they need to figure out whether they really need to be in that or not. And I use this analogy with chickens and pigs where in a bacon and egg yeah, breakfast, the, the pig is committed and the chicken is just interested. Um, that's, what, that's what anybody in a meeting has to figure out, especially if they're you know, a, a boss who's going into the meeting. Am I just interested in this or do I have a true commitment to it? Can I trust the people who are in the meeting to get it done and let me know and then not come back over the top of them with a different idea and then go do something more productive with my time and just sit there. By the way, you can tell the people in a meeting who shouldn't really be there, they're the ones who have their iPads and computers out and are checking their email. Are their eyes or closed? Uh, well, that would be even more obvious. <laughs> I've seen people sleep through meetings. Do most companies have a flexible enough policy on meetings that if you think you have nothing to contribute, you don't have to go? I can't speak for most companies. I know the companies that I've been in, somebody who stepped forward and said, I don't have to corrupt the meeting with my presence would probably be greatly appreciated. Yeah, uh, I think we all know those. We're right up to at the end of the show. I hate to say that. Uh, what's the thought, Eric, that you'd like to leave with the listeners today? The thought is I think we all, whether we're fresh right out of the box managers or people like you and I who have been doing it for decades, we can always learn something new. I was adding to my list right up to the day that I bought the book, and I've been adding to it since, the, since I did write the book. Um, we can all learn something. I think this book makes it quick and easy. It's a, it's a couple evening read, uh, indexed really well so you can go back through it when you have a particular problem that you need to work on. I think everybody can learn something from this and apply it not only to their work life, but to their family life as well. Well said. The book is Shutting Up, Listening to Your Employees, Leading by Example, and Maximizing Productivity. You can find it at Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and all the places we know that sell books. Next week's guest is Dr. Jim Norse, who's going to talk about, listen to this, Ho'oponopono, 
which is a Hawaiian word for conflict resolution, and we're going to be talking about resolving your own inner conflicts with Ho'oponopono. Ah, Eric, thank you so much for being with us today. I really appreciate what you had to say. Oh, it was a pleasure. Thank you. Loved it. When you write your next book, let me know. We'll have you on again. (laughs) Will do. This is Irene Conlon and Eric Wagner saying thank you for being with us today. Come back again next week for more of the Self-Improvement Show. Thank you again for joining Dr. Irene Conlon for The Self-Improvement Show. Please listen again next Thursday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time, 1 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Remember that improvement out there starts in here. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit VoiceAmerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.